When I speak, I give it away. And that's freedom. It wasn't my shame to begin with. That was the adult's shame. So I'm going to tell the truth and expose the darkness. Hello and welcome to the Influencers Podcast. I am Chrissy Cochran. I'm the Director of Communications for CityServe. And the Influencers Podcast is powered by CityServe. This month of January is a National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. And I have with us a very special guest, Ophelia Flores. She is a survivor of human trafficking. And really, I just want to get right into it. I, we have this really special time with Ophelia. She's going to share her story with us. She's going to give insight into how just us in the church can um, can play a part in helping to rescue people in darkness, how to help just you know save them from this modern day slavery um, and share the love of Jesus. So um, without any more being said, I am just honored and privileged to have you here, Ophelia. Um, why don't you start off with just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about who you are and your background. So um, thank you for having me. Um, I, like you said, my name is Ophelia Flores. Um, I grew up in, in like a toxic family. That's That's a popular word nowadays, but it describes my family perfectly. Um, and my dad was an alcoholic and my mom was severely depressed and then they separated and then they got, my dad got a new girlfriend and my mom got a new boyfriend and they just, their significant others did not like me or my brother and my sister. So it was very, a lot of abuse and neglect and you just name it, drug use, violence. It's, it's all there. Um, and I began to run away at a young age and I began to drink and smoke weed at a very young age. Um, I don't remember exactly, but um, I remember uh, running away and calling the police and um, staying with whoever I ran away to for a couple of days. Then my mom would say, you have to come back. And it was just the same thing. It was just it kept nothing. Nothing stopped um, his abuse. My my mom's boyfriend's uh, physical violence. Um, and so I found a sister um, that said, you can just stay with me. I will take care of everything. You don't even have to talk to mom and dad. I'll, you don't even have to ask. I'll take care of it. And she did. She did. So I was allowed to go get my clothes and um, and I was allowed to live with her. And at first it was, it was something I was missing. It was connection. Um, she sat in her room and did her makeup and, and taught me like, oh, you do it like this and you do it like that. And I had never had anyone in my entire little life back then, you know, have any interest in what I was doing and, um, and was teaching me. So I absorbed it all, the good and the bad. I didn't know any was bad at the time, but I absorbed it all. And I felt like connected to her, like never had a connection like that. It was my first time and I was loyal. I was, I loved her. She was the only one that looked out for me. She was the only one that loved and cared about me in my mind at that time. That's what I thought. And then drugs, she met she met a guy in heroin 
came into the picture. My sister used to be a party girl back in the 80s. So it was like cocaine and drinking or whatever they did back then. And um, heroin came into the picture and changed and just literally just changed everything. Um, her her personality changed. The way she spoke to me changed. Um, she screamed and yelled a lot. Um, she wasn't the fun party girl anymore. And um, and she introduced me to heroin. And after being introduced to heroin, um, then she started trafficking me. When I was yeah. dependent on the heroin, then the trafficking started and she would just say we were hustling. Yeah. And hustling, that could mean, you know, many different things. You know, I thought it was like, go steal something and sell it. <laughs> go borrow money from somebody, you know, um, whatever, steal a bike and then go sell it for somebody for 10 bucks. Right. And I didn't know what it was. And then I went with her and she had a, a friend with her and they went to this older man's house. And that was the first um, first time I had seen it, not really see it, but I knew what was going on. And they told me next time you, because he wants you. Mm -hmm. And I was really, I was scared to death, but like the need for the heroin and to please my sister superseded that. Um, so the next time it was me and, mm -hmm. um, this just kept happening for about a year and a half. Um, during the year and a half, I was incarcerated. Um, I was already on probation for fighting at school and I had stopped going to school altogether. When yeah. well, after. how old were you though, during that year and a half, the year and a half, it was, I was 16. Um, and then I walked in when I couldn't take it anymore. Um, just a lot of little things had happened and I was just, I just didn't see myself as a heroin addict. <laughs> like I didn't see it. I, she had let me down so much. I didn't want to be anything like her. Okay. And so I needed to stop using heroin. And so I, I walked into the sheriff's department in our little rural community, uh, our town. And I told, and mm -hmm. they took me in a room and I gave my statement and I was arrested after my statement. And at that point I didn't, I didn't care whatever. How, why were you, why were you arrested? I was under the influence of heroin. Okay. okay. And so I believe at that time, that's all they could do. Um, sure. I'm not sure if CPS was around in the eighties. I think it was, um, but nobody, I had tested dirty for heroin and I had got violations and went to juvenile hall and I don't remember any intervention or anything like mm. that. Um, so I was arrested for being under the influence of heroin and I did my time and, um, my sister went to prison and, um, but when I got out, it was, there was a lot of shame attached to that. Nobody talked about it. So I, you know, being a child still, I, you know, um, I blamed myself and I, mm -hmm. and I literally carried that for all this time, um, until like grieving the passing of my son, you know, pain recognizes pain. And then mm -hmm. I, I had always remembered, but it came, it came to surface and it came to surface in a way where it was like, that wasn't your fault. Yeah. Why are you carrying this? That's not your fault. So I started uh, faith-based therapy. Um, and I did that for two years. And, um, during, during that time, God put it on my heart to go to juvenile hall. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to go back there. I hate that place. Um, 
you know, and at, you know, and um, looking back, that was probably the only time I was safe, you know, mm. um, but I didn't want to go back. And, you know, and I felt it, though, that I was going to juvenile hall. So I went and it was amazing. I was just really nervous. And I went and it was really amazing. The girls were very receptive towards me and and having been there multiple times was my in with them they were like mm -hmm. oh you were here and I was like yeah I was here many times but the difference is that nobody showed up for me but I'm gonna show up for you uh, I'm gonna show so up when you me. that's well, so when you go to juvenile hall you get to speak with these these young girls who you once were right mm -hmm. you were in their spot and so what is um, what is it that you share with them? What do you, what do you see in their eyes? What are those experiences like? Well, every time I go, it's different. I start off telling my story, but it can, it depends on their conversation and where yeah. they want it to go. They can, some might talk about their family and I just give them like, if they want my advice, I give them my advice. Um, one girl wanted to know about my skin. Like how do, how, what do I do to keep my skin? Um, she said, I have really good skin. I was like, okay, well, there's you a bunch do. of scars on my face and I'm old, but okay. So I will connect with them on whatever they want, but I always go into my story and it's, and it's heavy. So, you know, they deviate and they're like, Hey, but what about this? And how was, you know, I like your tattoos and, and mm. we, can, we can talk about anything. It, I let, I let it flow with them. Yeah. So today, though, you are a, I think the title is like a contracted survivor advocate. Is that yes, right? I'm so a survivor advocate. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm so contracted with Kern County, um, Glen County and other, uh, no, I forgot the other county, Riverside. Um, and I, I meet these kids and I, and I talk to them and if they don't want to, you know, talk to me, I don't force them. Um, I just try to hang out with them and um, tell them my story. And once I tell them my story, usually that's it, I'm I'm in. And um, yeah. and they're like, wow. And I, sometimes I let them watch my video. And mm -hmm. so they tell me things that they would not normally tell anyone. They're like, well, you understand this happened and I think only you would understand. And yeah. um, so I think I have an opportunity that most don't. Yeah. Absolutely. What, what is your goal with them when you get to speak to kids who are at risk? I mean, most of these kids, though, that come to you, they've already been in drugs. They probably have already been trafficked, right? They've already been abused. Tell me what's, yeah. what's any, your any, goal. Any kid that I have met or they give me or I, I they pass on the case to me, I get um, the bad things have already happened. Mm -hmm. And so my, my goal is to just um, give them hope. Yeah. Give them hope. And right. then I, I, um, I'm not a therapist, but I've been in therapy so right. I can give them some coping skills and we could draw or we can journal together. Um, we can go to the movies. I take them to the mission to feed the homeless. Um, uh, we go eat. <laughs> That's their favorite thing to do is go eat. Um, and I just, just give them hope. Like, yeah, this is my job. This is my job. I came back because, and I tell them, I am you. Yeah. I was you. Yeah. But now, yeah. but now I'm, I'm not. And I have a family because I chose, I chose healing, you know, 
Um, I'm not trying to, and I tell them, you know, all the drugs and drinking, you're, you're numbing it. And I don't fault you for trying to numb it because it's absolutely horrible. I get that, but you're going to stay there until you go through it. So mm-hmm. please meet with your mental health therapist, please. And I, and I encourage them to meet with their mental health because the only way to heal is to go through it. Right. Now, um, we've talked before, and in fact, Ophelia is a good friend of mine. We've spent the past couple of weeks, you know, really spending a lot of time together getting in your story. And I know that you've told me before about how after you got out of juvenile hall that last time, mm-hmm. um, you went to church. And tell me oh, a little bit goodness. about that. I want to hear how, <laughs> and I want you to share what you've shared with me about your, your path is coming to know the Lord. Well, okay. So uh, let me give you a little background. I woke, yeah. I woke up. I'm sorry. Yeah. I grew up <laughs> in Catholic. I was raised Catholic. I had been, I made my first Holy communion. Um, I did all those things. I went to catechism, the rosary, and I learned prayers um, that I had to memorize, but I didn't have a relationship. It was just all ritual things. And, um, when I got out of juvenile hall, there was this church called Lily of the Valley, Lilio de los Valles. Mm-hmm. And um, I walked in and <laughs> I had never had an experience like that at church. The The pastor was, I could swear he was just talking to me. And when I went up there and I, they said, if you want to give your, give your life to Jesus, you know, I went up there and I was like, yes, I want all the things he's saying. He said, I can be brand new. And so I went up there and when they prayed for me and put hands on me, oh my gosh, I cried so much because like God was always with me and he, he knows the things I don't speak about and, but he knows. So that's, I always had him to talk to, even though I really didn't understand what the Catholic church and how to pray, I would always just talk to God. And I had such a release there. I, it was just life-changing for me. Mm. It was life-changing for me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that church, right? That church being there at that time and that, that pastor's message. Um, I mean, so all of this trauma happened to you when you were 16, 17 years old. And now decades later, so you, you, now you're a survivor advocate and you, um, you know, you speak to kids who are just in the middle of it. Um, now looking back though, like as far as the local church, how, what would you say to a church pastor? Like what could um, church leaders and just church people do to help rescue, whether it's children or women or even men who are, are caught up in human trafficking? I would say to them to get involved in their community and actually go out. Um, I don't remember any church coming out or anybody feeding us. My diet at that time was a cream soda and a small bag of cashews a day. I really didn't care about eating. Um, Mm -hmm. but that would have been nice for somebody to bring me a hot meal or just to run Mm -hmm. into somebody and say, Hey, let me pray for you. Mm -hmm. Hey, here's my information in case you need me to pray for you or, or here's a way out. If you Mm -hmm. want it, if -hmm. they're willing. But if they're not willing, at least be a safe person for them. Like, you know, let me just pray for you. It doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to stay this way, you know, but let me at least pray for you. Are you hungry? 
Do you want something to eat? You know, I would say just be involved in the community, actually go out there on the streets because that's where they're at. Yeah, they are. Do you think if um, someone from a church had run into you on the streets and offered to pray and feed you and connect with you, do you think you would have said, get me out of here? Um, I don't know. I mean, I wish, I wish that would have happened. Yeah. Um, maybe I wouldn't have been out there for a year and a half. Maybe a lot of things wouldn't have happened to me, but, um, but I can be that now, even if that didn't happen for me, I can be that now when I see, when I see my kids, if they're, um, on a, um, runaway status, AWOL status, mm -hmm. I can still see them. And I tell them that it doesn't matter if you're AWOL. I, I only care about you. Mm -hmm. I don't care about your status. Mm -hmm. I only care about you. So you can call me when you're AWOL. You can call me when you're high and you're drunk or or whatever. If you, mm -hmm. if you need me, I'll be there. Mm -hmm. God, you have a, you have such a beautiful calling, how God is using you to connect to the youth that are just are stuck in this evilness because there's so many there's so many people who can't, but you can relate, you know, how they feel, you know, how they've been terrified that they've been abused. They're just, they're just babies, they're children, you know? And so they need, um, they need so much of that from you. So thank you so much on behalf of everyone listening <laughs> and, and our, our church family and our city surf family. I'm just so grateful that you're able to connect with them on that way. Um, we talked before though, about red flags, you know, what are some, what are those red flags that you know, maybe even youth uh, or junior high leaders, you know, if uh, they're connecting with kids in their neighborhood, what are red flags uh, that you would tell them to get familiar with that something's going on with this kid with um, that? Maybe they're being trafficked, <laughs> they're in drug use. It's all kind of connected in many ways. Mm -hmm. What would you tell them? Well, I would tell them it's not so much a strange or dangerous, strange behavior. So if the behavior changes from you knowing a kid and you see like a whole change, um, that there's something there. Um, I was, I was separated from my parents. So my sister was like, I can take care of it. You don't have to talk to them, you know? So I never really went around my parents anymore, mm -hmm. you know, occasionally I think I did, but so it was like separation. Um, and then when my second trafficker got a hold of me, I had more money. So mm -hmm. I was able to buy myself things. So mm -hmm. it's, um, I would say it's um, a change in appearance, clothing. I had boots, I had dresses, I bought myself stuff. So like, where did that come from? Um, and then I would, I would say for drug use, depending on the drug, um, they can Google Whoa. like the side effects. Um, I mean, the, um, not the causes, but for me, the heroin was long yeah. sleeves. I wore mm -hmm. long sleeves and then I started getting tattoos so they couldn't see the marks on my arms. Um, mm -hmm. And so I covered up with long sleeves in summer. That's a big red, red flag. And then tattoos also um, back then were, were used to cover up. Like you couldn't see the needle marks. Mm -hmm. And then it's mm -hmm. the nodding out or sleeping a lot. Uh, right now, I think really popular is fentanyl. So it's, mm -hmm. It's sleeping a lot and nodding out is um, when they're sitting there and they're basically falling asleep and they just keep kind of waking up and coming back and waking up. And and, yeah. they, and another thing is they, they scratch their nose a lot or they scratch their face. That's another indicator for heroin or fentanyl. 
um, the nose itches. So they're constantly scratching their nose and they are always asking for money. Mm. always need money something happened where they need money every single day and they swear they're going to pay you back mm-hmm. just this one time mm-hmm. but it's it's every day mm-hmm. but this kind of also goes back to like the answering like what the church can do is we can be a part of the community because when you know just the body of christ just we're just out there as a hands and feet of jesus getting to know our communities getting to know the kids then we can really um you know pick up on these behaviors mm-hmm. right and pick up on if they're if they're being trafficked or just being able to tell what their lifestyles are like i mean that's what i'm getting is a really big takeaway from you i mean and my last question with that being said is you know on the influencers podcast uh, we have a wide range of listeners so there are church pastors of churches big and small or small um, we have, you know, Jesus followers in the business sector and government. It's just uh, just across the boards, people that want to be an influence for Jesus. So big picture wise, what is just one thing you want them to know about human trafficking from your experience? Um, I don't know if there's just one thing. Um, I would say a lot of things. I would say the churches are probably filled with them because I feel it's very common and underreported. Mm-hmm. I, I and um I would say to them, small groups. If you don't have a small group for your women, just a support group. You don't have to have an agenda. You don't have to have um like you're just somebody that will listen. Because mm-hmm. having somebody safe to talk to and then that will pray for you, that's amazing. And then give them resources if they want it. Um, I have tons of resources for Bakersfield. Um, and I would, I would welcome anybody to, if they want to talk to me, I'll talk to you. Um, mm-hmm. but for the church, I would say a small group because our, my church is big. My church is Canyon Hills and it's big. And those small groups made the difference. They really did. Yeah. Yeah. You meet people, it's more intimate, you know, it's not so um, overwhelming as when you walk into the main church. Yeah. So small groups and then have have something for survivors because I guarantee you they're in your congregation. They, mm. just, they just don't they don't have a safe one safe person to tell yet. Mm. Um statistically, you've given me a number before. One in four. One in four. So if you count women, I don't have the stats on men, but if you count women, just one, two, three, four, and do that throughout your church, and that's how many. Um, survivors you'll have survivors of sexual assault rape molestation human trafficking oh my gosh so churches are from your experience their churches are filled with abuse and drama trauma sorry, sorry. Mm-hmm. trauma yeah. trafficking so really too that's twofold it's up being a place to where we can look out and see the signs of someone who's in need and going through it and help rescue them but also those who've already been through it they need a place to heal right? They need to continue. I mean, you, you know, this was decades ago for you, but you're still going through the healing process. Yeah. Yeah. Trauma. So I'm sorry. Trauma's in my body. My body never forgot what happened. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and when we get triggered, it's just an indicator that we still got something going on. So my, my first husband was, um, very angry, and I, and I probably understand, I understand that he probably had some stuff going on, but he probably treated me the way I felt about myself. 
So we get it in, in, in therapy, they say dysfunction attracts dysfunction. So when you start healing, you know, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a race, um, slow and steady, slow and steady for healing. But, um, a lot of the times, uh, these young girls, they go out looking for the worst people and it's just, that's familiar to them. That's how they grew up. They can navigate through that. And a lot of people don't understand that. Well, they don't understand how, how can they be out there on the streets and how could they be with somebody that's beating them up? Well, they grew up like that. That's home. They can navigate through that. They can't navigate through somebody being um, like a, a boy being nice to them. You know, they, that's odd to them. So, yeah. So I just, there's a lot of things I could keep going. But, you know, if anybody wants to talk to me, put my information, my email, and yes. I would love to talk to, I have a lot of things going on in my brain. Well, you are just, uh, you're such a great resource. And I just love your compassion just for helping people who've been through this and being also just willing to share it. You've often said to me, I need to share it. It's not mine. We need to you know, get it out it there. You're giving it away. I give Absolutely. it away. I don't want it to stay with me. I'm when I speak, I give it away. And that's freedom because I, it's not, it's not my, it wasn't my shame to begin with. That was the adult's shame. So I'm going to tell the truth and expose the darkness. Yeah. Amen. Now you said you have a great quote that you love. Can we oh. end the podcast on that quote? Um, oh, I forgot who, um, who's, I forgot who said it, but it's like dare to enter back into the darkness to bring others into the light. I love that. Okay, say that one more time. Dare to enter back into the darkness to bring others into the light. And that's what you're doing, Philia. Yeah, because they don't know it's darkness. So yeah, I get it. I get it. And that's that's why it's my favorite quote. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for this time. Um, thank you for just for sharing, for being vulnerable. We just pray blessings over you. We pray oh, blessings you. over everyone who has listened. May they um, just be, you know, just have awareness about this, this horrible evilness in our, our world. May people that have been through um, this compounded trauma like this, whether it's, you know, in their adult years or teenage years, may they have healing as well. May this also just give them the courage and, and bravery to maybe they need to seek out healing. Maybe they have you know been going through the healing journey, but they want a platform to share their story and to help others. That's what we hope from, from this. And ultimately too, I will say these in revelations where it says we defeat the enemy, right? By the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. Mm -hmm. And so we just want to keep on sharing and that's where, you know, the, we'll keep the enemy down. So thank you so much. No, and thank you. Just, thank you for letting me tell my story. You're very welcome. We'll have all the links to resources and even your film testimonial um, in the, the podcast description. So oh, yay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Philia, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Okay. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the influencers podcast on the charisma podcast network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the influencers podcast official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer.
Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.